Hello all and welcome to episode 5 of Two Psychs in Nikes. In this episode, Larry discusses the importance of provenance when dealing in music memorabilia, the authenticity of the item and the history it has to tell. And me, Jody, uh, I talk about transition in life, in an athletic career, and there's some similarities in what we're all facing at this moment. It's a tricky time, but it's also a time to change things that we were unhappy about anyway and to do some reflection. So I hope you enjoy episode five. Hello all and welcome to episode five of Two Sykes and Nikes. I'm Jody. And I'm Larry. And that was actually, just as I said that there, I wanted to say to you, Larry, uh, last week when I was doing the intro, I had to, I had to record a little like 20 or 30 second intro to each episode. And I kept saying, two Nikes and Sykes. And I didn't realize it until I went back. <laughs> I see you're even back. So I kept going back yeah. to, and, and I'd listen back on the thing and think, right, that's done. That's in the bank. I'll put that in. And it was only then when I'd listen to the, to the next edit, I'd say, no, that's that's the wrong way around. It's so close, like that. It's it's it keeps jumping in there. Too nice and so I don't think I've said it like that yet. But now that I have heard you saying it, <laughs> that's it now. Yeah, it tastes so, good. Uh, how was your weekend, man? Yeah, it was good. It was good. Did I tell you about uh, putting my iPhone and laptop in the car by any chance? I I, I we may have <laughs> glanced on it once or twice yeah 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 like instead of putting it on silent and just putting it in the drawer or something you have to hide it in the car yeah 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 okay but look i'll skip that so it's like um, the alcoholic that puts the that puts the the, the bottle down in the, in the yeah there the, will be some type of addiction going on there with the iphone yeah I, yeah be, look man look at least okay. you're aware of it now yeah okay well I suppose something that in, that's been interesting is uh, the times that i visited visited my mother in her house so when I first drove up to the house and I, was, I got out of the car, I had told my mother that oh, I'm going to stand in the garden and she stands at the front door and we'll just talk from like a distance. When I got to the house and I got out of the car and went into the garden, I was standing like say 10 foot away from the, the front door and my mother opened the front door and then suddenly like a lot of activity started kind of happening in the estate. Like people started leaving their houses and things like that. And I was just got really self-conscious. I was like, oh, I can't have a conversation with my mother out in the house. shouting at each other, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then the neighbor kind of opened the door and their kids were coming out. And then it, she kind of, I think, heard that I was standing in the garden and was ushering her kids back into the house. And I was then thinking, oh, is it because, like, I wonder why they did that, is it? Yeah, and I was just, I got this overwhelming feeling of awkwardness. I was like, I can't do this. So I said to my mom, I said, how about if you open the back door, go, then go into the sitting room, I walk through the hall into the back garden, then you shut the front door and come out to the back door, <laughs> stand at the back door, and then uh, we'd chat from there. Thankfully, she heard what I said because having to repeat that to her, I probably would have forgot some of the steps and it would have got awkward. But uh, that was actually really clever. I'm, I'm, it's like a puzzle, isn't it? One has to slide into another room while you slide by, then they slide back out and fill the space you were in, close the door. It's kind of it's like it's, playing Tetris. It's kind of by the time you get to actually saying stuff, you're it's just I look, I hit the road. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. I wonder if there's any personal stuff being spoken, like over walls and back gardens and all. Like, you know, I, I was at the doctor. <laughs> when actually hap- that happened, though, it was around the corner in the chemist. 
there's outside the chemist they've spray painted lines on the ground like six uh, two meters apart okay and i was at the top of the queue when I, I was the only person there like so i was the queue and a woman came up a young woman came up and was kind of unsure about you know she was kind of standing close to me and i said no you, you have to stand at the next line on the ground okay and then the woman in the chemist, she must be kind of looking out the window in case anybody's queuing outside because they're not going into the chemist. So she has to kind of keep an eye who's outside. Yeah. So she opened the door and came out and had said to the woman there, are, we, are you okay? Can I help you? And I was conscious at that moment she, when she said, can I help you, that God, the woman could be looking for some cream or something personal. Like, something and, quite personal. Yeah, yeah and... and and when she was asked, she was he- the woman was hesitant to answer it, and I thought, oh, this is awkward. <laughs> you know, the woman should not, the chemist should know not to be kind of. Um, so she said, yeah, I'm looking uh, looking for X, Y, and Z, and yeah, so that was a bit awkward. So there can, can be some awkward moments. Uh, doctors and pharmacists, and they they kind of have like a, because they look at everything so matter of factly that. What, what might be like to one person a very, very private and confidential matter. Like the doctors and pharmacists, they don't seem to have a problem letting, letting people know the ins and outs of different yeah, yeah. you have, you know. Um, now, you mentioned you were in a queue, but you were the only one in the queue. Is that a queue? If there's, not, if there's one person standing <laughs> in a spot, is that a queue or is that, is that yet to be a queue? It's the makings of a queue. It's the essential start to a queue. Without the first person, there's yeah. nothing. You were the catalyst of a queue, but yeah. it wasn't quite a queue yet. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I have a story. We went out to get a few groceries. Um, we said we'd leave it till Saturday afternoon, evening, because we were hoping, our, our thought was that, okay, there might not be everything left, because a lot of people probably do groceries on Saturday, like old school. But we said we'd do it around 6 o'clock because they'll be a bit quieter. So okay. we get into the camper and we went to uh, get, I had to top up the air and a few other things in the in the tires and a few other bits and bobs. But we, we got to the supermarket, but they had stopped letting people in at 6.30 and they were closing at 7 and it was about 6. It was it was around 6.30, so we said <laughs> sorry. So we were like, oh, um, what about the other ones? They were similar, any ones in the area? So we just said, well, come on, we'll maybe we'll just McDonald's and we'll be hoping we'll, we'll kind of have a, have a bit of a hankering for one. So we drove to the McDonald's and our camper is quite tall. It's uh, I think it's about three meters. So I said, I'm not going to risk the drive through because just as you got to the pay window, I could see that there was like um, a little roof that stuck out. And you have to be aware when you're driving a big yoke like that, you have to be so oh, yeah. aware of bridges and so We've yeah. been nearly cut out so many times driving around Europe. So I said, look, I'll just park it up. There's nobody here. There's about three cars here. People can, it's only a drive-thru open. Mm. And I'll just walk. I'll just walk through. <laughs> walk through the drive-thru? It's not allowed. What do you mean? Even if you pretend, even like, so I just went up and I just hit the, hit the, the mic and she was like, sorry, uh, you're not in the car. And I was like, yeah, but it's, it's too big. And she said, no, 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 you'll be fine. It's about the same size as an ambulance, she said, and they fit through. And I kind of thought, so she, was telling, she was kind of telling you to go back into the vehicle and drive it up. Although I was at the window to order and, and I, like I was practically getting the job done. She wanted me to go back and get, it must be policy. So I said, I think I'm a bit tall. And she said, no, no, no. It looks about the same size as an ambulance. Uh, and they come through. Now, here's the thing I'll tell you. 
you can't take somebody's word for the height of your vehicle. No, no. That's not... That's no. Not, <laughs> yeah. Like, what ambulance... How big is the ambulance, like? There's different ambulances. Yeah, like. yeah. So uh, I, I went over and I eyeballed it. And I thought, no, there's no chance. So he, the, the guy came out, lovely, fair play to him, came out and he said to me, uh, show me your camper. So we walked over. you serious? Uh, yeah. I didn't. The guy came out to have a look at the camper to see if it go through. You would have yeah. ordered your food in the meantime. Yeah, I could have been done. So <laughs> he looked and he asked me what height. And we were looking over. And I said, it's not going to go. Like, I'm not going to risk it. Will we, do you, like, do you want us to leave and not get anything? <laughs> he, was like, he was like, yeah, I'm sorry. So I thought, well... This is actually true because I remember Corb, your enthusiasm. Gary <laughs> David wanted to walk through a, a drive through before, and he wasn't allowed either. So I, we were, we, I got back in and I, I started up and I was about to leave. And he, he came running back over and said, Look, this one time only. Ah, uh, stop. You can do it. So I had to walk. A car came in behind me and I was walking through. And they, they, they did it in the end. But just so you know, in future, if you're ever stuck, you need, even if you. Like, I was like, do you want me to just, like, what's the difference? Like, I'm I'm the person at the window. I'm going to be at the next window paying, and then I'm going to be yeah. at the next window collecting. What yeah. does it matter if I'm in, like... I know. I, do, you know what I, do you know what I can find irritating with, say, a situation like that is uh, if someone's kind of saying, but you know what, I'll, we'll do it in this circumstance, and it's such a trivial thing, you're like, you're not really doing me a favour, like, it's... <laughs> Like, yeah, am I supposed to get down now and be thankful for, for, yeah. for what you should have been doing? In the, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, that that's was a good one. little story. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So what did you, uh, did you, did you come up with a, a bit of an item for us today? Or did you bring something? I, I see something sticking in the side of the screen there that I'm very curious. It looks a bit of like a little black box. Oh yeah, this, um, <clears throat> yeah, well I decided, I was kind of thinking about what I'll uh, talk about today. And then I thought uh, one of the key things that's important uh, with high-end music memorabilia is provenance. Uh, provenance is like the, the history of the piece. And I then was thinking, okay, what, what's the best kind of piece of memorabilia I have that would be a really good example of water type provenance, you know, the best type of provenance you could have. So um, it was very straightforward. I have a guitar that was owned and used by Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he, he'd be like, out of the top 100 guitarists in the world, I think he's number two. Yeah, oh, that, what a bummer. Well, but that's a I know, so close. So close. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he's handy enough. He's handy enough. You yeah. Oh, you're, you're not number one. No. Oh, oh, okay. You know what? Take your, take your guitar. <laughs> <laughs> and so, is, what age would he be now, Larry? Uh, Jimmy, it must be 60. Yeah, must be sixty. Yeah, easy. Oh, no, actually, must be sixty. Whatever, closer to seventy. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought I'd like to talk about provenance because it's, it's actually quite interesting because it's not very straightforward. Like it really isn't straightforward. There's lots of these different layers to it, and the different types of provenance dictate the value of the a guitar in this instance, but it, it dictates the value of any piece of memorabilia. But then also, it's the person, say the, the collector their interpretation of the provenance will also dictate what value they put on it. Okay. So it's not it's not straightforward, like, it really isn't. Yeah, I brought the guitar on as, like, something tangible, you know, to, to talk about. Now, for anybody listening on the podcast, if you check out the YouTube channel, you get to see the guitar and the, the paperwork and all that. But um, I'll describe it as best as I can. 
So I'm just trying to think, kind of give a little bit about like provenance, like the different types of provenance. Yeah. And then I, I, like, I I'll revert back to the guitar that I have here. For example, this guitar that I have comes with video footage of Jimmy Page playing the guitar. He holds the guitar up and he reads the serial number out. And then he signs the guitar. This is all on video. So that's one piece of provenance, the video footage. And with the key component there is Jimmy Page calling out the serial number. Yeah. <clears throat> then also the guitar comes with two handwritten letters from Jimmy Page. And he states the guitar was owned by him and the serial number again. And this guitar comes with video footage and also two handwritten documents from Jimmy Page. So that's like, you, you, could, you can't really get anything else bar... Jimmy Page is sold along with the guitar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty concrete, the evidence. Yeah. yeah. Now, has he also, like, would he have used it at home? Would he have used it in a studio? Would he have used it on a tour? Like, Yeah, he actually mentions in the, he talks about it in the video. He um, mentions that it's his traveling guitar. So he took this guitar when he went to uh, Asia. All right. And it actually has, um, I have the guitar beside me here. I'll just hold it up a bit so you can see it on the video. It has the travel tags and it has Jimmy Page's name on the, the travel that's, tags. That's actually deadly. What was the fl last flight? Uh, I think Bangkok, Thailand. Ah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. He, was, he, was probably going, he was probably going to Atlanta. It just, it just got lost. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and that, same again, that's another part of the provenance is the flight tags with his name on it. You yeah. know, that's taken all the boxes when it comes to provenance, it really is. But it's extremely rare to get hold of a guitar that comes with video footage and handwritten documentation from the artist, especially from an iconic artist like Jimmy Page. But yeah. at the same time, these things do exist and they primarily come about from the sale of items at charity auctions. An artist like Jimmy Page donated that guitar to a charity auction, and yeah. that's why he made the video and the handwritten paperwork, because he, 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 he understood the necessity for that type of provenance and how much it would affect the value that the guitar would sell for at the charity auction. Okay. You know? But then on the other side of the spectrum, you have like people will look for certificates of authenticity. And for me, that would be the lowest form of provenance because it's it's third party, it's third party verification, and third party is like the, they weren't there, like they're it's just someone's opinion, the third party opinion. For me, like I don't really value certificates of authenticity if it's from a third party. I only really want like this type of provenance, like video footage or handwritten documentation from the artist, because that's the type of pieces I deal in. When I mentioned earlier that there's different types of provenance, I'll give you a few examples. Like you could have, when it comes to guitars, a guitar that was owned by the artist, but he may never you he or she may never have used the guitar. Oh, like for instance, I have a guitar that was owned by Eric Clapton, and it comes with a certificate of authenticity signed by Eric Clapton. That type of certificate is fine because it comes from the artist. Mm. But the guitar was never used by Eric, so that would affect its value. Then you might have a guitar that was used by the artist, owned by the artist, and they wrote a Pacific song with the guitar. You might have the same situation, but it's not any old song that the artist wrote. It's his most iconic song. So that will affect the value then as well. Yeah. And then you might have like a guitar that was given by an artist to a friend 
and a friend is like connected with the artist or could be like his guitar tech or manager and it comes with a letter from the guitar tech or the manager so there's different degrees like and then you sometimes it's like you have to apply some common sense so you're like okay this the letter comes from the guitar tech so that's pretty much like getting a letter from Eric Clapton himself say but then you might get a letter from Joe Blog down the street like I got a person get in touch with me about a a leather jacket that was worn by a famous artist supposedly and the provenance that accompanied it was just this person saying that the artist gave him the jacket he had no proof whatsoever there was no photos of the artist ever wearing it so a letter from that person stating that X artist gave me this jacket, it's kind of meaningless. It doesn't really mean anything. That's what I was going to ask you. Like, say if I arrived and I was, uh, you didn't know me, and I said, look, I have a Jimmy Page, uh, or no, I have a, I have a guitar. It, was, it wasn't Jimmy Page's, but I met him and he signed it. And would you be interested in that? You know, from a layman like me, I'm like, look at me. I have a tasty guitar and Jimmy Page has written, rock on, brother, Jimmy Page. Yeah, that's is that something that you would be like, oh yes, brilliant, or would would that be something that you wouldn't be interested in? It's funny that you say rock on, uh, Jimmy Page, because that's what Jimmy Page says, right? When he autographs things, he says rock on. I'm 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 deep involved in all this. (laughs) The only like when it comes to autographs, I have a tendency to stay away from autographs unless they come with photographic proof or video footage of that actual item being signed, and you can really see that it's the signature being signed and um, because sometimes you might get it you could say i could ask you like oh do you have any photographs of the guitar being signed and you say yeah, yeah i have photographs and the photographs you show me don't really show the guitar being signed but i can see jimmy page's face and a marker in his hand but i can't see the guitar and for some collectors that might be fine they might just say ah oh, yeah that's grand that's fine that's authentic but for me i need like actual i need to see like the guitar like it's not enough so 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 for somebody that's doing doing this um with like for a fair while and it's not it my question is is there a lot of counterfeit and fake and um almost something but not is there a lot of that going on as well as authentic stuff uh well you never really know it's it's always a matter of opinion you know, like if you go on eBay and have a look for autograph memorabilia, like you, if it doesn't come with any real tangible proof that it's authentic, mm. who's to say it's authentic? Like, yeah, it's true. Because it's just a, if it's an autograph, anybody has access to a pen and a marker, and you can just practice the autograph until they have it perfected and then fake things. Now, what would, would the quality of the original piece also affect the value? So say Jimmy Page gave you a guitar that was like a high-end Rickenbacker or, a, a, you know, something that was produced in like limited numbers. Say it was only made, say there was 200 pieces made of a guitar and yeah. Jimmy Page happened to get one from the factory and then he had signed it and then he had sold it. Would that be... Would that have a, a would that be like an incremental difference or would it be a massive difference? Yeah, there would be there would be a big difference. Um, yeah, because if it's like a vintage guitar, the vintage guitar would have its own value. So yeah, you, you might have a good combination uh, for a collector who is really into guitars and appreciates a vintage guitar, and then the fact that it was owned by an iconic artist. So those two things combined could make it to sell for a lot of money. But what it can do 
for like I'm a dealer and it can make it a bit difficult to purchase those items and sell them on at a profit because the person if they know what they're selling will be looking for a premium just for the guitar itself never mind the provenance so say like it's a, a vintage guitar and it's without any famous connection it's worth 30 grand and then you put like Jimmy Page or Keith Richards connection on top of that yeah. like then you're looking at it a big outlay just to get hold of that guitar I, I tend to stay away from like really valuable vintage guitars with an artist's connection because price can be a bit prohibiting you know as an investment is there um, like is there a piece this is just like the kind of the, the armchair uh, fella like me is there one guitar that is like the golden eagle it's like the it's like the you know it's like finding that barn find and you open it up and it's a for me it'd be like a Ferrari GTO sitting in a barn that nobody's got. is there one guitar that you'd be like oh yeah yeah I'd love that for me personally yeah mm, I'd like to I'd like to give you a direct answer but now is the answer I suppose like, <laughs> like Lennon's or, or, or McCartney's or anything like that like no but there wouldn't be one that you'd be like oh yeah I, I'd love to have that or are they are they outside the, are, you, are you getting into the millions then are you getting into the silly figures like or what's the story well, for me personally, the only guitars that really tore me on are like Noel Gallagher's guitars. So it always come back to Noel Gallagher for me because uh, that's where my passion lay when I was a teenager. Okay. So, yeah, so any of his guitars, yeah, there's a couple of his guitars that I'd love to have. Um, would he have had one that he would have stuck with for a long, long time? Would he, have, would he still have a few? That yeah, he yeah he'd have years? like five or six guitars that he's had for a long, long time. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so a few of those would definitely be guitars I'd like to get a hold okay, of. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. obviously if he favours them, it's like it's like a snooker player, they favor, like they yeah. can't let go of their cue yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But like when it comes to like, because I have two sides, I have the personal kind of, my own personal passions for collecting, um, and then I have the business side, and it's the business side that's more prevalent for me when it comes to the buying memorabilia so for me i would get excited about coming across a john lennon used guitar which i have done in the past um but it's different than the type of ex excitement i would have for an all gallagher guitar because my intention would be to keep the all gallagher guitar whereas part of the excitement with the john lennon guitar would be uh, the potential to sell it for a lot of money of, of course so you've yeah. different motivations we're going back to yeah. the motivations there being different as I, as I as you know and as i said before i like cars and i'm just trying to relate it to something that i know I, two years ago when we so we headed off in the camper we left ireland then we headed off around europe but i'd been talking to somebody in germany about a car that we were thinking of buying um so we ended up going all the way to stuttgart to to view this car um it was a Porsche, a 911 GT2, and there was only a certain amount that it made. And I, I believe that they're undervalued. At some stage, they will go up. So I wanted to go and see this car. Really nice guy was had it. So we went to see it, and everything was good about the car. There was loads of history to it. Some missing, but there was still a lot of history. Um, it had been checked in the Porsche factory and all etc. So it was it was a good looking car, but there was one thing I, I remember I lifted the front, which will be not the it's the bonnet, but there's no engine under there, it's just a storage compartment. And mm. there's a sticker, there's an original sticker that's usually under there 
to it has like the paint code and a few other things on it yeah and it was missing uh now why that was i don't know but it was it was just it wasn't there it was, and you could see where the stick was yeah and i thought it's a very unusual thing to fall off or to yeah. so instantly like my brain is is saying if like you're, you're talking maybe a hundred grand outlay here so it's not mm. It's it's not pocket change. You're saying, Jesus, this is this is like life changing. Whether we do this or not, like this is like a big deal. So that one little thing of that sticker missing, and and the guy couldn't tell me why that wasn't there. It was like uh, right. yeah. maybe it was just along the way of ownership, but it was just if if it was something on the outside that had fallen off, but it was hidden away. It's just mm -hmm. I'm trying, and so we didn't. We it was a fight. We just didn't do it, and it eventually. Oh, so like yours, it was hidden away. So someone had to purposely go to it and take it off. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not the type of thing that would fall off. No. So you're kind of then thinking, did somebody purposely, then the question would be, did somebody purposely go and take it off? And, and if so, why did they do that? And then that's when alarm bells start to ring. And for you, it'd yeah. be the same, right? As the value of something goes up, these details really matter. Like if you're talking like a five grand semi-collectible car, and there's not a sticker on the bonnet, I'll take a chance at it. I'll take a punt on it. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. See, it's not that the item becomes worthless. It's just that it's not worth as much. So it's like, if it doesn't have the sticker, it's probably, you're probably only willing to take a punt on it for half of that money yeah. or something like that. Because the risk is higher. And yeah. funny enough, the price did come down. Uh, I kept an eye on it for the next month or two, and the price did come down. Now it's it's long gone now. The price did drop by maybe 10, 15% in the end. They were obviously trying to get rid of it. Now it was an gorgeous machine. But yeah, it's a, that's the only thing I can equate it to. Is, is, is now, if I was a dealer and I had 20 or 30 cars and I could I could stomach the, the money sitting on the lot and maybe you sell it for 120 and you take your bit of profit and you move on. But as somebody that was a private person that was that was trying to invest into my future, it was like, no way, man. Like this is just too much of a gamble, you know? Yeah, oh yeah, no, that's that's no, that's not a good idea. Yeah, you made a good decision there, Jody. Yeah, I think so. Well, yeah, I think so. But uh, yeah. I'm still looking. So my is that I'm sorry, did you want did you actually want to show the guitar or did you only want did you want to show us, sir? I can show you, yeah. Like every every time. Well, my cat's after jumping on my lap. So so, so we won't. So we but, but I don't. I think I missed the opportunity to show while I was talking. So you now did, we'll be a little bit. You, you <laughs> did, but um, but yeah, look, you would have been thrown. You would have had to take the yoke out and everything. I trust that there's something in there. Now, yeah. folks, I don't. I I do know Larry, but there might be nothing in that. That might be just a flight case. It's an empty flight case. Yeah. It's just full of books. <laughs> So I wanted to maybe move on to not a more somber thing, but just with the way things are at the moment. Um, I've, I've been looking at a few books again recently about this topic, and a lot of people have been speaking to me personally about this and in groups. And it's it's something that I'm I'm quite passionate about is uh, transitions in life. So that can be anything. That can be that can be an athlete retiring and return with any number of reasons it can be a young lad moving away to to start a career in soccer or something like that it can be mm. changing jobs in your life it can be the loss of a loved one like this we we've multiple at all times going to school whatever it may be and uh, i'm reading a really good book um it's called racing the sunset and it's a triathlete um 
Scott Tins, Scott Tinley, I think his name is, and uh, he tells it like it is. He was competing for maybe twenty years at the highest level, like won multiple Ironmans, and lived lived the triathlete life. Like mm. so, he just talks about the that he, he really goes in detail. Subsequently, I think he's gone back to school and he's actually looked at sports psychology and nutrition. Yeah. He's actually because this he was so passionate about this area, but he does describe transitions as like loss, grief. Like he he nearly mentions it in the way of of like a death or losing mm. a loved one. It's almost like because he said all he knew for twenty years was like when the kids needed changing or when the bill came in, he just said, "Look, I have to go out for two three hours training. I I, I don't have to deal with this, you know." So. Yeah. He said he always had an out, and what happens is athletic identity starts to become yourself. So you start to to lose your sense of self, and you start to become the athlete. And mm. it happens to an awful lot of people that are kind of operating at a higher level because the media and your teammates, and as you're growing up, you get all these these kind of attachments. That oh, you're you're the big lad, you're the strong one. Uh, or she's the fastest you know or you can always rely on him he's a tough nut you know all these and even in business it would be the same if you need something done go to this person even family structures that's the the quiet one or that's the smart one exactly we take on these roles very young even i know in my own family like well i would have taken on a role my brother and like it was so and even in business in all in all forms of life so it's something to be aware of, especially in this chain, in, in what's going on at the moment. We've kind of been forced to look at all these things and it always brings a certain sense of reflection when you go through a transition and you're, some people are going to be more comfortable with that than others because mm-hmm. it's scary. Like if you haven't looked at any of that stuff before, it's very scary and you're, you, you maybe have a partner, like maybe you have kids and depending on what you were doing, like if you were committing 10, 12 hours a day to your job or your, or to your sport um, or your, your creative outlet, like if you're a musician and you're going to the studio or all these things, they take up so much of your time and now you're kind of plunked at home and you're almost having to, to look, look within and see who you were at the start of all this again. And this is, this is hard for the partner and for the family as well because they're having to kind of go through this with with you and mm-hmm. it's not an easy thing to do and especially when there's stress of money and bills and um like i've been through a few transitions uh, like i i kind of constantly put myself in them like i i like changing professions i like moving to a different country i kind of i kind of thrive in that but at the same time like um when you lose someone very close you really know um you're really up against it and you're kind of forced into this this thing and it's just i'm saying give yourself um give yourself an opportunity like and be patient and give give your partner a little bit more room a little bit more margin for error like Mm -hmm. i've been very lucky to have someone that was like incredibly supportive i've i've left jobs i've been i've been let go I remember, um, I remember, right, I, I tell you, I was three years in a job, going quite well, happy enough. And somebody asked me to go and work for, for this company. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it for a while and I went and interviewed and I, I said, okay, let's, let's, let's make the change. And three months later, I was let go from that job. So I had left a very stable job to try this new one. And I, what I thought was going well, 
they didn't and they let me go and it was a real shock it was like literally like a friday evening mm-hmm. you're, you're you're gone and okay. like those little things they can be very challenging like i was mid-20s uh, yeah mid-20s when, when that happened but you know I, i've just been multiple ones where you're going through these things and it's bloody tough but you look back on them and if if you can if you can at the time be a bit more gentle on yourself and kind of let it happen i think i think you do come out uh, a different and more rounded individual um i don't know i don't want it to sound kind of like it's uh, otherworldly or it's easy it's it's none of those things but i'm just trying to say to people that this is not going to be an easy time but we've a, we've a, we've a choice that we can make now like the world might be different going forward like we this might have been a little kick and some people I think it's an opportunity for people to, to really think about what they want out of their life and how they want to live and the person that they'd like to be. Um, and I just, I hope that it's kind of accepted. Like, would you, would you be, would you be kind of, would you have anything on that? Yeah, I suppose it brings to mind uh, existentialism. And uh, I suppose most people will be familiar with the term an existential crisis. It's one of those terms that, sometimes psychological terms kind of branch over to like uh, normal like words that everybody knows about you know but they mightn't actually know exactly what it means but but they have they know know what it means but they mightn't really know yeah you know be able to talk about it too much but um i think this is like a time for people where they may be going through a, an existential crisis, you know? Yeah. Even if it's just a transition from working in an office uh, and transitioning to working from home with your partner or with your partner and your kids or with your flatmates or whoever, that, that could be an existential crisis for someone because they're just not used. It's a, it has a profound effect on their, their life. It's a challenging situation for them to deal with. So I've, I've even heard people say, I don't know my, my, my partner's work voice or work attitude. Like it's, I've never heard that before because I've never been in the office. So we all kind of, again, we all have this identity in the job and mm-hmm. your partner might never, ever see it in that. And then all of a sudden yeah. you're trying to make calls. You're trying to, you're trying to do your best at home. You're, you, and you, the, your partner's thinking, who is this person that I, I don't even know? Mm-hmm. So there's loads of these things that are kind of they're kind of funny and you can you can have a laugh about them. Um, I was even listening to Johnny Sexton on the other day there on Off the Ball and he was saying, you know, to try and even keep himself fit and to try and even like stay technical and and like he's because he's three kids. He was saying and like there's so many people in this position that are a little bit stuck. If the longer this goes on, um, I think just patience, like maybe new goals setting new little goals for yourself and that that sounds i don't even like that term saying goals but it's just little new things like even i discovered recently i hadn't made a model for 15 years which i couldn't believe i make plastic car models and i couldn't believe it was 15 years since i made one when i thought about it it actually shocked me so i found one in the wardrobe that i had bought years ago and Mm. it was just sitting in the wardrobe and i took it out and i actually had to order glue and and spray paints because I didn't have any of them. And they, they can take two weeks or whatever if you're tipping away on them getting an hour in the evening and like they're they're time consuming. But I absolutely loved it. And I, I just forgot about it. And I think, you know, instruments, painting, craft, maybe you were into radio control planes when you were younger, like subscribe to a get 
just look it up on YouTube. You'd be surprised what tickles out. I think as you get older, sometimes you kind of get stuck in a bit of a groove and you, you do let go of a lot of the things that gave you pleasure when you were a youngster, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. Going back to athletes, like what, what, what would happen like if someone was like that triathlete who's been doing something for 20 years? How do they find meaning in their life? Like, Because it sounds like that a lot of their meaning um, motivation was tied up in, in doing this sport and then what do they do like for the rest of their life if they're not going to do sport anymore like it's amazing that you brought that word up there meaning because um i wrote a little article a few weeks ago and it that's meaning was what i kind of came out at the end of it about transitions they've lost their meaning and it's very hard and some people say look give yourself six months or a year transition into maybe coaching if you want to stay in the sport try and stay in the sport and um, maybe you go into product development or working with a sponsor in a different way but then this guy Tinley was saying it can be 10 years like so anecdotal evidence is different and that's why i'm saying like patience and new goals and stuff because uh, even divorce rates like there's there's a scary statistic around divorce rates when people finish professional level he like he he reckons possibly sixty percent within the first few years of retiring will go through a divorce, which is so that just says that there's a huge strain. And mm. now if you're lucky enough to have a partner that understands that he was, but like a lot of people, maybe a mess while you were an athlete. Like so he was lucky, he said him and his him and his wife met before he, he was anything in, in that world. So they remember the way things were. But if you if you happen to be in the middle of your of your success, say, and you meet your future husband or wife or partner, and they might only know you as that person. Mm. And then all of a sudden overnight your sponsorships are gone, income is gone, um, that kind of that buzz of competing is gone. There's no there's no what 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 the evidence says is there's no single way of fixing it. And it's it's active coping there's like there's not going to be one thing that you can sit down and and look it's across the board with every athlete okay yeah i know what you're saying it's not it's not straightforward it's it's uh, different for each person it may last for a year or 10 years depends on the person and what's going on yes yeah. some people were able to keep it detached a little bit like the, the problem is i think to get to a certain level i think you have to commit so deeply into the into the profession that I think staying detached from it is very difficult. But some people yeah. said they were able to do it, make their living and able to leave it. Mm-hmm. And they had never really taken on that thing. Like if you, I think the average rugby career now is about seven years as, as a professional. American football, maybe three or four years. This is tiny like yeah. in your life. Yeah. So it, although it's a huge deal for you, you've, you've still got to think about the next so many decades and I would also probably say that the general public have a lot to answer for with this because it's so easy to just once they're once they're once they've slowed by half a meter. You even hear it in football: ah, they're done, they're finished. They, they couldn't get to that ball, or they yeah. don't have it. And I think we could be a little bit more gentle on it because you've been cheering for them for so long, and just because they but they still want to play, they're still passionate. It's not about the money. Everyone says, "Oh, you're still getting the money." Money is is another factor for the for most of these people, you know. Mm. 
Yeah. So, so that's all. I just said, be patient and give each other a bit more room and just let, like, yeah, let a little bit of love in there as well. I'm, I'm kind of hark back to that, like, be like for yourself and um, for the group, for your teammates, for your colleagues, just a bit more understanding, a bit more empathy. Yeah, we can always do a bit of that. So, yeah. So that's me for this week, like. Okay, yeah, thanks, Joe. You sound good. Thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in. We, we're, st- we're really enjoying these. Um, it's given us a nice focus as well for the week. Funny enough, just before we go, I was actually supposed to be in Dublin starting a, a month's uh, contract today for uh, some other work I do, not not uh, performance site, but um, obviously there's no work there and it couldn't go up. So it's not all rosy for every, like everyone is going through different things and it's just it's important to realize that nobody is left untouched from from kind of this mess and we may look like we're having a crack here doing a podcast and but everyone is affected in whatever way it may be people are losing people people are losing jobs people are losing income like i have to think about now the next month how it's going to be because that was i was kind of banking on that you know yourself how it will be so mm. Yeah, well, I had a massive sale that was happening in New York there the last couple of weeks and nothing sold, zero. So, like, it's affecting everybody. It's affecting me, it's affecting you, it's affecting everybody. I think it's important to to note that I think it's okay to be honest about those things as well because if if you don't bring them up, it can be perceived that not everyone is going through the the pain that you are. So, look, our thoughts are with everyone. We're going to be here. we're still doing two per week at the moment. So if you're enjoying them, share it. And uh, hopefully, hopefully there's something in it for you. And we really appreciate you tuning in. So until next week, that's a good boy from me. Yeah, and good boy from me. And if you, yeah, if you look at the YouTube video, if you could uh, like and comment um, about the video, that'd be fantastic. And if you're listening to the podcast, to, to just leave a five-star review, five-star minimum. <laughs> Of course, of course. Let's let's get back to the real thing of like rate that baby. And one other thing, if anyone's touched by anything that's that's been discussed, I have no problem if you want to get in touch with me, I'll have a chat or an email or um I'm my Twitter and Insta is at talk to the bishop. Um email is info at talk to the bishop or you can look at my website, whatever. I don't care who you are, just get in touch and we can have a chat and I won't see you stuck. So um yeah, until next week, thanks very much.